All right, everyone, welcome to Centered Sunday with the Resilient Me, your host and creator, Sheree Shai Holmes. And I have my beautiful guest here, Miss Megan Adder. Woo! Hey guys. She's my first guest back off of my sabbatical, so I'm really gracious and grateful to have her. Um, I've been trying to get her, I think we said we were going to do this like way back in April, but then like life happened, the pandemic happened, and we always, (laughs) so now we're kind of getting back on track. Um, and we're getting here in here, but I still think it's like a perfect time to talk about this because the pandemic and people are wondering about their credit, about being able to buy a home. Like, is it hard? What's different? So Megan is here to give us her advice and share because she has so much experience in the industry. So I'm going to let Megan introduce herself, tell us about her experience and how we can reach her. Megan, take it away. Hey guys, how's it going? As she said, my name is Megan. I have been in the mortgage industry for, I want to say over the last eight years. I'm currently in commercial banking, but I have been in mortgage for so long. Nothing has much changed. Obviously laws have changed over the time, but how to prepare to buy a home hasn't really changed since then. So some tips that I have to talk about, obviously I got five. But just to give you an idea of the current housing market and how that looks, for a lot of people, it can look frightening because there's a lot of things going on with the pandemic. Um, It's a lot of things going on with uh, COVID-19 and people trying to look at houses, the market itself. It is a great time to buy a home, especially for buyers. Uh, The only thing is that everyone's trying to buy. Usually, typically in the spring market, which is also considered the summer market, everyone is trying to buy. There's a lot of people uh, in this time, they get married, you know, they have children, they expand, et cetera. But now you have COVID-19 and you have historically low rates right now. So everyone is trying to buy. So as soon as a house hits the market, you got, everyone is trying to get it. So it can be very frustrating for uh, first time home buyers, veteran home buyers, whatever the case may be, because it goes like hotcakes, uh, where typically it can, it can be pretty hostile, but not as bad when you have like these extremely low rates. And when I say extremely low, I mean, you could get a 15 year mortgage or a loan and your interest rate can be in the twos and a 30 year can be in the low threes. Whereas around this time last year, obviously considering credit, it was in, you know, mid high fours, right? Uh, so going into, just keep going, right? Going into like the five tips that I have for you. I, so many people reach out to me in regards to how to buy a home, where to start, where to look, okay? This is for if you're a first time newbie or if you're going back in, if you already bought. Uh, determine, I always say to determine how much you can afford first before you start doing anything else. You will be surprised how everything, all the other tips fall in line once you determine how much you can actually afford. Now, let me break that down in layman's terms. A lot of people say, well, I can afford $1,500 a month. Now, you have to consider all because when you buy a mortgage or buy a home, not everything is considered. They're only going to look at what's actually reporting on your credit report. So they're not considering your daycare expenses. They're not ex- considering your utilities. They're not considering your transportation bills or your phone bill or anything like that, which you 
you need to consider. So if you say you can afford $1,500, is that just for the mortgage mm -hmm. or is that for everything else that you included? Because if it's not, then you have to put that amount in, lower your expectations or what you can afford now to determine how much you can afford as a house. So how much does that look in regards to a house? So typically the rule is that, well, I'm going to say rule, but if you want to get an idea, usually per hundred thousand, that's how a thousand a monthly a payment would be. So if you say I only can afford a thousand, then you're probably looking around a hundred thousand dollar house. You say two thousand, two hundred thousand dollar house. Obviously, there's different things that can go into that depending on how much your taxes are in that particular area, how much your insurance is. Are you buying a condo, townhome, which you have to consider HOA or homeowner association dues, which is an additional cost for living in those areas. Okay. Um, some other things to note in regards to determining how much you can afford. You don't want to be house poor. Okay. You don't okay, want to have. Wait, 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 wait. You got to break that down. You can't say house poor. What does that mean, Megan? I'm buying a house. I want my house poor. <laughs> you don't want to be house poor. So basically saying, you don't want to say, oh, I have this, I have two $2,000 mortgage. Uh -huh. I can't afford anything else. Like, okay. I have a check. For example, let's say your your monthly your monthly income is twenty two hundred dollars. Mm -hmm. Two thousand shouldn't be going to your mortgage. Now you have two hundred dollars to live on. <laughs> what are you gonna do with two hundred dollars? Okay, <laughs> you want to keep be realistic. I know that there's beautiful houses. Just think of it. You can when especially for people that are under our thirties or in a, uh, millennials or anything like that. You can always have a starter home. The first home doesn't have to be the it home. Yes. Just because you get a 30-year mortgage doesn't mean you have to stay in the home for 30 mm -hmm. years. It's just to start somewhere. Uh, you start there, you get yourself together, and then you progress, okay? okay. Uh, so you want to be able to live comfortably. You don't want to stress. Finances are one of the things I feel are a big issue in marriage, big issue when it comes to depression, Mm -hmm. Big issue for just everyday life. When you see bills come in and you don't know where the money is coming from, your brain just gets fried. Yeah. So if you think you can afford $2,000 $2, a month, probably look at finding a house that maybe be $15,000, $1,750, something around LA just to give yourself a buffer, okay? Um, consider when how you can or how much you can afford. The mortgage industry or your lenders are going to look at what they call debt to income ratio. And what that is, they take what you have as debt, things that are reporting on your credit and compared to your income. Wait, so, one second though, Megan, is that net or is that gross when they're they looking look at, at your, your gross. income? Okay. So they that could be gross. a little bit tricky too, because you're not actually getting your entire gross check. Right. So when you give them and you say, I make $50,000 a year, they'll obviously check your pay stubs and they're going to put whatever's on your pay stub. If it's 50,000, it's 50,000. And then that's, again, you have to consider all of that because we're not bringing home $50,000, okay? Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, so you take that gross amount and you take your debt. So you take your debt and then you divide it. So again, things that are reporting credit report, which is usually uh, credit cards, student loans, uh, car loans, anything like that. And when I look at credit cards, it's not talking about your entire balance. It's talking about that minimum balance. And just add all of that up. And then take your income and divide it. Typically, you want to be less than 43%. And I just say you can get a home loan above 
if you get, look at it clearly, that's like half your income. Okay. Yes. <laughs> <Why>? <laughs> Typically you don't want to be that high, but for mortgage lenders, you can, there's programs where you can go up to 55%, 57, which is not where you want to be. Okay. I want everybody to be living peaceful in their house, not having to right. worry while they're in their house. Yeah. Uh, so I just say a general rule, less than 40%. If you want to be even better, let's go less than 30. This yeah. will just give you that idea that you can truly live comfortably, not having to worry about expenses. Considering when you buy a house, there's a lot more things that go into it, which is another thing which I'll go into. There could be emergency. when you moved into your house, didn't you guys like get hit with an emergency like almost immediately as soon as you moved into your home? My gosh. When we moved in, the first the first thing we did, we was there for two days and we had a plumbing issue. And we had to go and live with my parents for like a week because we were using water. And I know people are like, well, what happened to the inspector? They expected everything they were supposed to do when the you know, things happened. The seller went back in, did some changes, whatever the case may be. And anytime we flushed, our basement would start flooding and things like that. So you have to have money for that. So you don't want to spend all your money, which I'll get into when I talk about in regards to savings. You don't want to put all your money into buying this home and you don't have any money because, you know, when you're in an apartment, you know, if your dishwasher breaks or something like that, you can contact them and tell them to fix it. No, you're fixing it yourself. (laughs) <laughs> and if it's some damage, hopefully insurance will cover it. But if it doesn't or a home warranty, it's a lot. Okay. Next big thing or next tip is credit. Okay. After you determine how much you can afford, you need to look at your credit. Now, I always tell people you're supposed to look at your credit periodically, mm-hmm. maybe once or twice a week. But there's people that I talk to all the time that hasn't looked at their credit in months years they don't really care <laughs> but so you really don't care until you have to care and that's actually not a good thing as soon as you're like oh i gotta buy a home let me look at my credit oh my god i'm so far away from where i need to be and that's not what you want to do so you can get on experian transunion equifax which are the three most used credit bureaus you can sign up with them to have an access to your credit report you can use credit karma credit sesame all these different links but just keep in mind the score that they give you may not be the score that you get from a lender. It's generally going to give you the good idea, but lenders use a different formula, whatever they want to call it, but you should be in the same ballpark. What's on your credit oh, that you see on, like, on these websites should be the same that you see when you go to a mortgage lender. So the first thing that you need to tackle is understanding your credit score and understanding basically where I need to be. So in general, to get an FHA loan, which is a government-backed loan, you need to, they say the minimum is 580, okay? But if you have a 580 credit score, and I'm not judging you guys, I'm that not is, judging. They're giving you a house with 580? <laughs> the FHA loan, your minimum could be a 580. And they usually wow. say with other compensating factors. And what that means, okay, I have a 580 credit score, mm-hmm. but... I have an amazing job with an amazing income. I'm putting more money down. These are other things that make you look better compared to that 580 credit score that they see, okay? Um, With a conventional loan, that means not government-backed, it can be a 620. Now, I want to stress, even though these are your minimum, 
you're going to end up paying more money compared to someone that has a higher credit score. And why that is, is because when you have lower credit scores, your interest rates are going to be higher. Interest rates higher means more money. So with that being said, what you can do in the short term and the long term. Short term, you can pull up your credit report. You can go to annualcreditreport.com and they give you a free credit report once a year. Okay. Um, and you can pull it out, look at everything, figure out what are your negative or delinquent things that are populating. That means are there things that are showing that you have late payments? Do you have, uh, are you delinquent or default on like credit, uh, car loans, student loans? Um, do you have collections? Things of that nature. So just one second, I'm going to just chime in and ask you a question here because people ask me this all the time. And they're like, if, if I have something on collections, do you think I should pay it off? And would that help me with my credit? So I want to get like, just give me your answer. Like if someone has, you know, a thousand dollars they owe maybe to a hospital or something, and they're trying to get a house versus paying down their credit card debt, which one should they prioritize? Okay. So this is a little bit tricky. In regards to buying a home, you have to figure out how it's affecting your credit. Because when you're buying, for most, in most cases, when you're buying a home, they do look at the, your collections, but they sometimes don't require you to pay it off, or they usually may not include that in your debt to income ratio. Oh, okay. But you have to keep in mind that collection, depending on how fresh it is. If it just got on your credit report, oh. that is probably hurting your credit, the credit score the most. Okay. Golden. Yeah, it's like, but if it's old, I <laughs> I always say the longer it's on your credit, typically the liquid information drops off or should be taken off your credit within after seven years. So if you're at the year six mark, it's probably not affecting your credit score as much as anything. Uh, with credit cards, these are things that you're paying monthly. And in collection, you're not paying monthly. So these are expenses that are coming out of your bank account. So I would say to focus on that. But if you're trying to get a big change in your credit score, I would say to try to focus on both. I always say to try to use the snowball method to get out of debt. Take your smallest debt, whether that's your collection, credit card, work on paying that off, pay your minimum balance for everything else, pay that off, go to the next and keep going to wherever the highest bill is. For your credit cards, utilization, basically how much you use compared to what your balance is, you want to stay under 30%. If not, if you're not able to pay it off monthly, paying off the whole month balance monthly, if you're not able to pay it off monthly, keep it less than 30%. Because once you go over that 30% mark, that actually brings down your credit score. With credit score, the top three things that affects us the most is your payment history, your credit history, um, and, you know, inquiries and things like that don't hurt your credit score as much, but they definitely going to look at your how long you had a credit and your payment history and the variety of credit that you have. Okay. Uh, so focusing on making sure everything is current, making sure you get that delinquent information off. Mm. There are so many things, especially now, there's so many things that you can do because everyone is looking for help around here. So there's credit card companies that are allowing you to pay things off. They're offering options. So many things, especially with the pandemic, that they're being more lenient on. Mm -hmm. Take advantage of that, especially if you want to boost your credit short term. Long term is just maintaining it. If you have, when I say, I know you talked about collections and like deleting it and closing. Yes, you want to get collections off your credit. But 
with credit cards. If you had a credit card back, let's say in 2010, and that has good credit history, you paid it off, my recommendation, if you have, <laughs> what I wanna say, self-control, Mm -hmm. I would say keep it open. Maybe give the credit card to a trusted friend that you know is not going to use it. Cut it up, whatever the case may be. Because yeah. if you close that account, you just close 10 years of credit history. Mm -hmm. So that just shrunk your credit history. Now you look like a person that just got credit. Okay? Mm -hmm. so if you have the self-control to keep it open after it's paid off, mm -hmm. keep it open. Anything that's short-term, you know, if you just open up a credit card, pay it off, sure, close it, have it removed, all that kind of thing, that's perfectly fine. Um, but these are just one more, one more thing because these are the questions that I get from like the tribe. So I'm just throwing them at you right now because no, you're fine. You're refreshing my memory right now. So say someone has like a um, like a Target credit card and their original balance was like two thousand dollars. They were super good with their money, paid off the card. They haven't been using it. They've been real disciplined. Then here comes Target and they're like, oh, we're gonna drop your your we're gonna reduce your limit since you haven't been using the card. We're gonna reduce your limit to like thirteen hundred. Do you think that they should just like close the card and be done with it or keep the 1300 even though it's reduced? Like, is that going to affect their credit score now that Target dropped their limit? It's going to affect it if they have a balance. If you, oh. don't have a, if you don't have a balance, it's not really affecting it. But if you had a $2,000 limit and you had, let's say, 1000 on it, you're, not, you're at a 50% utilization. But if you have 1000 on and they dropped it to $1,300, now it looks like you're like at a high balance credit card, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so like I said, if, it's, uh, if you just open the Target, you know, it's Christmas and you got a deal and you just open it, you paid it off, now sure, you close it. it, you know? <laughs> you, don't these, you don't have this credit card. But if you have this Target card for the last 20 years and it's open and they fluctuate, for the most part, you know, you pay off, usually raise your limit, usually decrease it if you have something negative going on. Oh, and they don't really trust you <laughs> keeping this money. Like, you know what? Let's just uh, bring it back down to size a little bit. You, you haven't paid us in like five months. That's usually what they do in those instances. So I would okay. say that. All right. Uh, next thing is um, obviously saving. Oh, I meant to mention for credit to get the best rates. Obviously, a credit score over 800 is going to give you the the best rates possible it doesn't really matter i know you've seen you've seen a lot you've gone through underwriting process how many people actually have an 800 credit score maybe i feel like that's like impossible <laughs> i see it more often with i i'm not gonna more wiser people okay wiser generation <laughs> and okay. i mean wise i'm trying to say age but not say age season we know what seasoned p individuals uh but i've seen it in people around our age as well but i see commonly i see high sixes in the sevens i've seen people come in way less than 580 i've seen it in a variety of stages but i'm not that's why i said minimum is 580 for fha and a minimum is 620 for a conventional loan you can get a home like i mean in those ranges you you have the ability to what i'm saying is that you're going to pay more if you just took the time to just be patient and work on your credit you're going to save more money than trying to get something now with a lower credit score and there's tips like i told or talked about to help change and help boost your credit score in a short time the cycle over updates every every 30 days so if you do a lot of things in 30 days 60 days it's going to update 
And most companies or lenders have the ability to what they call rapid rescore. They'll tell you, hey, pay this off, pay that off, do this, do this. And then they'll do a rapid rescore where they can pull your credit and have a score faster than 30 days. Okay. Those are just things to note. But the sweet spot is to have a score over 740. Okay. That will give you better rates. Uh, and like I said, obviously over 800. But this that sweet spot is over 740. That's not saying you can't get it if you don't have a 740. That's all I'm saying. Uh, the next step I want to say is your savings, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, it's very important to have and budget, especially if you're buying a home. You want the budget not just for when you buy a home, but afterwards, because now you have this new expense. Okay, so in regards to saving, I always tell somebody, if you have a goal, have accountability person that will constantly, like I say, nag you, but remind you of your goals. Check in. Let you know, hey, you know, you said you're going to save $100 this week. Where you at? Did you save that $100 a week? Okay, you didn't. So what are we going to do next week to make sure you're saving that $100 a week? Right. And for savings, and I'm, and I'm, these tips I'm giving you is also to make this process, especially with like pre-approval, underwriting, to make it a little bit smoother because mm -hmm. they will ask, they, they potentially ask a lot of questions. So I always tell people, if you're going to buy a home and start saving for a home, open up a separate account specifically for buying a home uh, and you can label it mortgage home okay underwriters do typically if they see a lot of transferring be between accounts especially large not payroll non-payroll expenses but they see you transferring a lot some money around they have money laundering laws and depending on which program you are especially fha they can ask you about each one of those deposits oh. and that can be very frustrating um, especially with FHA. You're like, okay, where's this deposit? Well, this is this, this is that, this is that. And then you have to provide documentation for each one of those transfers. And this doesn't happen as often, but I, you know, I had a lady who did FHA loan, her daughter sent her money, and then they had to get her daughter's statements. And then her daughter's statements had a deposit from another sister. So they had to get the other sister's statements. Wow. <laughs> so set up a separate like, account <laughs> from the mafia or not <laughs> they need to know where this especially with fha and certain programs they need to know where this money is coming from general the general rule especially for conventional loans if it's not over 50 percent of your income so let's say your monthly income is two thousand if the deposit is less than one thousand dollars typically they won't ask about it um but if they see withdrawals because they have to look for expenses like everything doesn't populate on your credit. If you have a payday loan, that's not going to necessarily be on your credit. But if they keep seeing that there's withdrawals for $200 that are very uh -huh. similar, and, they, and now, they, now they're going to add that because they see it. Okay. So separate account, put your money in there, you know, save it, do whatever you got to do. And then you have a clean bank statement to get them. So they typically won't have as much questions and that just saves you, saves you stress. Because it's the, it, the buying a home could be stressful, but in general, if you do all of, you know, try to do the best that you can, it's not that big of a deal. Um, I always tell people the power of saying no. There's a, I know that, especially with the COVID thing, it, it kind of got a little low, but everyone wants to invite you to a birthday party. Everyone wants to invite you to dinner. Everyone wants you to go to this, I don't know. Let's go here. Let's go here. That's more money that's coming out of your savings. And I know sometimes you're like, Okay, yes, yeah, let's go, let's do it. You have to get in a part, in a place, when you, especially when you have goals and you need to be strict to your goals, it's just saying no. 
and you can tell people, hey, I'm trying to buy a house. I don't have the expenses. Maybe we'll try something later. It's okay to say no. Because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, your goal is to buy a home. Their goal is for you to go out to dinner. Which one is more important? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Their dinner or you buying a house? So we have to, you know, have to focus on saying no and being okay with that. Um, for down payment versus closing costs, when you're saving for a home, you need to know the difference. For down payment, you say, I want to put 5% down on a home. There's programs where you can put 0% down, which is like a VA loan if you're a veteran. Mm-hmm. There's options where you put nothing down. Um, they have conventional loans. You can put 3%, AFHA 3.5%. Generally, they want you to put 20% down. The only difference with putting 20% down, obviously, you're mortgage would be less in regards to compared to somebody that did not um but you don't have to pay an additional insurance called private mortgage insurance or pmi now you have your insurance like for your to cover your home but when you put less than 20 percent down they have an additional insurance that you have to pay monthly which covers your mortgage so private mortgage insurance and that can be little as 50 dollars additional or 300 dollars additional depending on how much you're putting down, what kind of program it is, and what your credit score is looking like. So I've seen private mortgage insurance in the 300s, and that's an additional amount. <laughs> you went from, oh, I just wanted a $1,000 mortgage, put in all HOA dues, private mortgage insurance, now you're up to $1,700. Like, what happened here? So keep that in mind. Uh, but when you choose a down payment, there's a lot of flexibility in that, okay? So if you want to put 5% down, no one's like holding your, you know, saying that you're less than or anything like that. It happens a lot. It's very common now. It's less common to put 20% down than it is to put five. Just an FYI. Really? So, <laughs> so, so what would you say is like the average percentage that people normally should like mentally prepare to put down like 10%, 7%? I would, I mean, if you can do it, I would say put 20% down. I mean, you can, I mean, then you can buy I've seen people that, like, if you go on Redfin or any of these websites and you play with the down payment, you would see the drastic change. If I put 20% down on like a $300,000 house, my mortgage should be $1,500 a month, give it, you know, obviously, consider right. all factors. But if I put 5% down on a $300,000 house, my mortgage should be over $2,000. So it makes a difference. And you can play with those numbers. You know, you can put an interest rate and just play with the down payment. I generally see... I don't see more than 20% down. If you'd buy an investment property, yes, then it's over 20% down. But if you have it, yes. But what I'm saying is that I see that 5%, 10% is more common. Okay. Um, and they make it easier for people to do that. So don't feel bad if you don't have 20% down. Again, you can work buy the home at 5% down. House markets raises. So especially in the city of Chicago, a lot of times you buy a house and it was worth 220 now. And then a few months later, now it's worth 260, depending on the area that you're in. And that yeah. is equity or value in your home that you can refinance and get out of mortgage insurance is a whole nother story. But there's options to it. So I would say relatively 5%, 5 to 10% is a sweet spot. But that's just your down payment, okay? You have to all consider you have closing costs. So if you say, um, you know, I want to put 5% down and I like, I have, you know, $5,000 to put, you have to consider that there's closing costs about six to $7,000 in addition. 
And that closing costs are the fees for underwriting fees, the fees for the lender, your application fee, your, your appraisal, your title company. Someone has to uh, <laughs> record all of those mortgages and fees, have you sign. And then when you look at some of these title fees, you're like, you're going to charge me for a piece of paper? For this? Whatever. <laughs> charge you for the wire? Okay, got it. It's just fees after fees. And those title fees charge in itself. Charge for the pin. Man, charge you for the pin. For you to say the little you know, board, you know, if you would say first home, they charge you for that board to, you know, hold the keys. All those different things. They charge you for everything. Uh, that typically in itself would be between $3,000, depending $3,000 or upwards of $4,000 just in title fees. Okay, wow. that you might not have to consider. And then you have recording fees, you gotta pay your attorney, yada yada yada. Okay, that that uh, paying your attorney was so new to me in Illinois. I, was like, <laughs> I gotta pay my I, first of all, I need an attorney and I have to pay <laughs> you definitely need an attorney. <laughs> <laughs> in California, you didn't need that. So the house that I got in California, I was like, This is when I came here, I'm like, What? Yeah, Dude, different states was, have different rules. I always I I I don't care what state you in. I really feel, I mean, well, some states that don't require attorney, the agents do most of the work, so you're pretty yeah. good there. But I honestly say if you're new to something, you should definitely have an attorney to review documentation that you're not familiar with. So you're not, you know, you're not signing your life away yeah. or in, in, in that regard. But if you're experienced, sure, we'll do what have, whatever works for you. But there's would, so many. Just a little caveat I want to throw in. Make yeah. sure y'all interview your realtor. Okay. Don't just go with the first one, your loan officer and your attorney. Okay. Cause that's your team and your home inspector. That is your dream team. And if you don't feel dream comfortable team. with any of those people, let them go. Okay. I went through three real estate agents, y'all. Three of them. It was bad. <laughs> that's cool. That was my fifth. And two different <laughs> attorneys. One of the attorneys, like we were, we were mid deal on a completely different building. And the way she cut up on me, Megan, I said, never again. I said, I will cut you this $500 and I don't want anything to do with you after this. It was so bad. So I had to find somebody completely different for the building that I actually ended up getting. So I, I wasted money because I just went yeah. with like whatever a friend told me to do. Don't do that. Interview these people, please. <laughs> don't do it. Uh, so yeah. So it, consider that, that your closing cost is not just going to be your down payment amount. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yes, there's credits involved, which, you know, that's a, a whole nother story. Uh, but yeah, at the end of the day, prepare. If you think your down payment is, let's say your down payment is after your lender says it's your down payment is $5,000, try to add about seven, five to 7000 on top of that. So now you're at like $12,000. It doesn't mean that you're going to come to closing with $12,000, but you should be prepared to have that in your bank account yeah. if you may need it. Okay. And they give you loan estimates, which are your, they call it loan estimates or LEs to give you a breakdown of what your anticipated costs are before you even get to the closing table. Now, those estimates are generally on the higher side because that's to protect the lender because in certain, certain, not necessarily title fees, but in certain instances, if they disclose it to you as a hundred dollars and it came to be $300, they have to pay that difference if oh. it's in that bracket wow. so they'd be like they, they like to tell you oh there's no five hundred dollars and then it comes to be really one hundred dollars it's just trying to protect themselves that so <laughs> they were like you need to have five thousand at closing i was like all right bet i got there 
Megan, I walked home with a fat check. I think I only paid them $300 at closing. Yeah. And I was like, thank you, Jesus. Yeah, because then all, you know, start credits start coming in. When you live in like Cook County or DuPage or Kane, you know, you know, the, the seller, you know, our taxes are paid in the rears. So the taxes that we're paying for now is for last year's tax bill. So at closing, you can have this large credit because the seller has to pay you for those tax bills that's going to be unpaid for the years that you are in the property. Mm-hmm. So you might not be expecting that. you like, oh, you look, you're like, oh, man, oh little 5,000 there. I didn't know that was coming from, but that just helped me thank the Lord. <laughs> so you think about it, that comes into play. You get seller credits, all those different things that I just tell you to mentally prepare and have your bank account ready to have this amount because yeah. there's so many people that assume that, okay, my down payment is the end yeah. all be all. And it's not, you have to consider all the background that yeah. has to go into it and what you have to pay. Um, number four is consider the options that you have shop around and have major patience especially with the pandemic you will get super frustrated with the current market as i said earlier um, in the live is that as soon as a house is put on the market there's probably pending offers already on it and now you're getting frustrated because every house that you think is you love by the time you get home there's already another offer on it so as sharice was talking about you have to be able to, you have, it's okay to shop. You don't have to go with the first thing they give you. You don't have to go with the first lender. You don't have to go with the first um, agent, attorney, anything like that. It's okay. You're the buyer. So at the end of the day, they want your business. At the end of the day, the seller is looking for you. Yes, there's other buyers out there, but don't get yourself in a place where you just go into trying to buy in a house and it's not what you want because you're just trying to get an offer out there. I promise you there will be a house for you that you can put an offer in on. Yes. You don't want to get in a situation where you're rushing or you get in a situation where you're putting more money that you want to because everything was it was you're just getting too frustrated. There are several mortgage options that I was telling you about. There's endowment payment assistance programs. A lot of them have opened and closed during the pandemic, but a lot of them have opened and back. One I know is called IDA or IHDA. They have a variety of options of um, I use them for my, right. my closing. Yeah. Yeah. So for down payment assistance, you get up to 7,500. There's options where you can get up to 10,000, but then they have restrictions and rules for getting that. Um, and there's Chicago based programs for buying homes in targeted areas, buying homes in the city of Chicago. There's programs for that. Those are, if you don't have, it doesn't mean you can come to the table with nothing and then you just expect the down payment assistance to pay for everything. It's, it's, I sure didn't. <laughs> I still had to come with $5,000. You know, I mean, you have to put down payment. There's some cases like they have earnest money, which is basically a deposit you put in before like yeah. stuff starts. So you have to have that in play. You, you know, then that can variety that that earnest money or that initial deposit is given to the seller and it's just like i am serious about buying this home and they hold it until closing they'll give it to you back they're not taking it they'll give it they'll credit you back the deposit as long as you read your contract um and all of that comes into play just read your contract all of that comes into play and you just have to be cognizant of that so be okay there's fha loans like i said generally fha loans people use that when their credit score is not above 620 uh 
that's generally what people use FHA loans or if they want to, they don't have the greatest down payment, people go with FHA. Like I said, FHA is lenient and strict at the same time. It's like an oxymoron. They're, you know, you can, it's relatively easy. And I would say in this current market, there's a lot of people doing FHA loans because uh, they're just really trying to get a house. And you can, you know, refinance out of her FHA loan down the line. It's not saying it's necessarily bad, but when I was talking about that private mortgage insurance with FHA, that doesn't go away. Where a conventional loan, you can have private mortgage insurance, and once you get to a certain point, you can have that removed. But FHA just stays on there for the life of the loan, as well as I told you before about like looking at your bank statements and being very stickler about certain things. That can be a lot when they look at the house, when they appraise it. FHA can be, again, a good option if you need it, but it can be stressful if there's a lot of things that they require. They have VA loans if you're a person that is a veteran, um, and then you can use that. You can use your grant that you get for being a veteran. Use that for that as well. Um, and then options of using a 15-year mortgage, 20-year mortgage, 30-year mortgage. You don't have to get a 30-year mortgage. I honestly wouldn't, if you, if you have the ability to, it's, it's just easier. When you think about 15, 30 years, that's a long time. Okay, yeah. I'm 31 years old. So in 30 years, I would still have a mortgage at 61 years of age. <laughs> <laughs> kids already long. grown and they got kids. And usually people don't care. They feel like, like I said, it doesn't mean you have to stay in the house for 30 years. You're just getting a longer term to make your, you know, you're stretching out your payments. So if you get a 15 year mortgage, obviously your mortgage payment is going to be higher, mm -hmm. but you're going to, you're going to pay off your mortgage faster. Interest rates are better generally for a 15 year mortgage compared to a 20 year mortgage or a 30 year mortgage. So you have a variety of options and it's okay to shop around, which gets into my last point, choose a bomb realtor. Oh my God. That is such an important thing. If you, you need to have someone that knows the market that you're trying to buy. Mm -hmm. You need to know somebody that's not going to just be a pushover. You're negotiating at the end of the day. Most of the time, if they say they put the house on the market for $300,000, they are not, that doesn't mean you have to give them the $300,000. Now, okay, let's, we're not going to go into, the, you know, everyone watch HGTV and the person's like, oh, I got this. I, it was $300,000. Now I got it for $220,000. That doesn't happen in, all the time in real life, okay? It, you know, you just see that. HGTV be setting people up. These people be working at home businesses. They be like, oh, I, I sell paper clips. And what do you do for a living? Oh, I sell garbage cans. What do you What's your budget? 1.2 million. What? Where did that come from? What? I need to get in the paper clipping and selling business. I don't know. Um, and then, you know, you have to keep in mind that the, the, the realtor will save you so much time and frustration if you get a good one. And yeah. Like I said, you're the buyer, so you do not have to go with your, I, I say referrals and reviews just because yes. someone referred you somebody i will still look at reviews because your friend will refer you somebody and they got three stars on google no <laughs> okay <laughs> you don't have to go with your friend don't feel bad it's not gonna hurt you I, I promise you your friendship if it's a real friendship it will continue on if you don't use the person that your friend referred you yeah I have, I have been in the industry and my friend oh I, this is i don't know who this agent is but my friend referred him and this agent was terrible Okay, 
So the agent needs will know the market. They they're working for you. You don't the the seller in Illinois pays their commission and things like that. Yeah. So it does, you ain't got to worry about like their expenses or their commission. So that it doesn't matter which one you go to. They let them feel bad. It's okay. But after they sign a contract, though, you can't. You you're stuck at that point. So make sure before you start signing, you know, contracts like for you know home and buying things like that, that this is the agent that you want to go through. Appraisals. They need to know the area. Okay. If a person and and this is a this is happening a lot in the pandemic, everyone's as as some shape or form is hurting in the pandemic. So they want to put their house in the market for as much as they can. But you can't have a three hundred thousand dollar house, and then all the houses in your area is two hundred thousand. Something is wrong there. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> something is wrong. Okay, I can understand if you got glitz and glam, but glitz and glam is only going to go so far. They may give right. you an additional five grand for your extravagant backyard and that additional tub you put in there. But you have right. it's called comps. The comps in the area have to match. Okay. So your agent needs to know that. If they don't, you're in trouble because you need to negotiate that. No, you can't be putting your house on the house market. You go, I mean, you can. You can do whatever you want to do. But I'm not gonna buy this house for three hundred thousand. I give you, you know, two hundred thousand dollars, and you, you know, if you want to accept that, don't. It's okay to walk away from a home. I promise you. There's so many houses. There's a lot of houses out there. That the there's a lot of houses out there. There's not as, you know, the supply, there's a lot of buyers out there supply, but if you don't have things that are pressuring you to buy a house, for me, when I bought a house, I had to get in a certain time in the neighborhood so I could put my kids in school. But if you don't have that issue, the winter is the best time to buy yes. a home. Yeah. That's obviously no <laughs> Right. I, I, I was like, like what's the movie in the winter? They're <laughs> 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 cold going to these houses. Like, oh my God, I don't know. But there's more houses and less buyers, especially in the Midwest. No one wants to buy a house and it's cold, no. snowing, and nobody Thank wants you. to do that. But that's the <laughs> best time to negotiate. Yep. Because most of the time, these houses have been sitting on the market for a long time. Now, that was pre-COVID. I still think the winter will be a great market. But with the interest rates being low, mm -hmm. people are still going to be buying homes. You're still going to have a better chance in the winter. And when I say negotiating, I mean negotiating. You can say, you know, where you wouldn't have the ability to. Maybe the house has been sitting for two months on the market. It's two hundred fifty thousand. Okay, let me try. You know, let me pull out my HGTV and offer you two hundred twenty thousand. See if you bite. You know, and most of the time they're gonna counter. It's okay. It's okay to say no. It's okay to counter offer. They tell you no. We, I'm gonna give you for two fifty. Okay, I'm gonna count you again. I'm gonna say two twenty. I'm gonna say we're gonna keep going back and forth mm -hmm. until we get an agreement. Okay. And then most of the times, the agent will know how motivated. Motivated means in the, this world, uh, seller world, how you know motivated or interested they are into coming down on their price. You know, you'll get sellers that be like, "I'm not doing it." Okay, well then they just don't want to be okay with that. Say, "I'm gonna walk away." Or you can meet them in the pay. Okay, I'll give you if the comps are there because when I say comps, if someone puts their house at 250 and there's comps in the area that don't match it, when that appraisal comes back, it's going to be an issue. The appraisal is not going to be able to give that $250,000 value 
and now there's going to be some negotiating that's going to have to happen anyway. So mm -hmm. that appraisal comes back. You have to be able to think of all around what you need. So let's say you want to negotiate. Hey, I'll give you two thirty, but give me a five thousand dollars seller credit. If okay. I'm going to give you two thousand two hundred fifty thousand, give me a ten thousand. I mean. You can negotiate it however you want, and your agent will be, if they are good, bomb, know their business, they will know how to deal with that. Mm -hmm. And you have real conversations with your agent. Hey, I don't have a lot of money to put down. I don't have a lot of money in general to buy a home, so I'm going to need a seller credit. Then that's your agent already knows, going in the gate when you go to certain houses, they know this most of the time they're really good agents. They know the seller's agents and they know all these different agents and they know how to communicate and they need to be able to be headstrong when they're negotiating on your behalf. Mm -hmm. They're good. They're not going to just take what the seller tells them. They're going to say, Nope, this is what my client wants. And if you want the client to buy this house, this is what you need to give them. And they have to be headstrong on that. So make sure you have a bomb agent. This is what, like I said, it was, it will save you time and energy. Look at reviews, not just referrals. Okay. Reviews. And this will help you a great, great deal. Those are my five tips, guys. <laughs> you had some good stuff in there. Thank you, Megan. You actually covered, like, I had a couple other questions that I was going to ask you, but you covered them in, like, your full five tips explanation. Um, so on Facebook, we have people saying, like, thank you. This was great information. This is really interesting um and that wasn't my personal page i didn't go check the resilient me page but <laughs> if anybody has any questions y'all can go ahead and drop them now and i will read them to megan and she can answer them for you so this is one thing i i'm i'm wondering about because i do have a couple friends that are in the market right now and they're saying that they're they're having a problem like you were saying having a problem putting an offer on home because right now they feel like it's a seller's market and so like they'll go, this particular friend was in Maryland and they'll go and put an offer on a property and they have like five or six other, you know, offers on the table. What do you think if like during the pandemic, people are not wanting to budge, they don't want to come out of their homes. Um, what do you think is like the, or, or from your own experience, what is the sweetest deal or best way to kind of like, if everybody's everybody's at an equal playing field. Like how do you get yourself above that so that they can accept your offer over the other five people? Um, there's some, there's creative ways, but if you ever been on these websites, it'll say like certain homes are considered hot homes. Okay. So technically the spring and summer market is what you could make consider the seller's market. Cause there's going to be a, so many buyers and not as many sellers. So they can kind of ask if they want to, and if they see that you're offering, uh, let's say they have it on a market for 300000 and you're saying, well, I'll give you for 300000 but I want a $5,000 seller credit, generally, they're going to probably try to go with someone that's not asking for a seller credit. Because okay. technically, for their eyes, they're actually getting the house for two ninety five because you're asking mm -hmm. for $5,000 seller credit compared to someone that's going to give them the whole three hundred. Also, with programs. If they see someone that has a conventional loan compared to someone with FHA loan, they will most likely go with the offer that is a conventional loan. Why? Uh, because, <laughs> because in regards to FHA, like I said, with the appraisal, mm -hmm. FHA is very strict. So sometimes if, and, it, and I want to be strict, I mean, they'll look at the window siding. 
and they'll ask them to do, you know, you need to paint this a little bit more. Mm -hmm. You need to fix this window where, you know, you probably could have got away with it with the regular, oh, I'll fix it myself. But FHA is much, be more, more strict on that. And their process can be a little bit longer. No. Whereas conventional loan, I'm not saying it's, it could be drastic. I mean, FHA loans, I'm not saying that they could, they're, you know, they're going to take 45 days. Generally, you can close on a home in less than 30 days. It's just with conventional loans, it's a little bit cleaner. Mm -hmm. If they have the option, they're going to go with the one that's a little bit cleaner. Obviously, mm -hmm. cash is best. Uh, but I ain't rolling in the dough, and there's not a lot of people that's going to just give you a cash deal <laughs> at the end of the day. <laughs> if you let <laughs> Right, just drop it on that. Bow. Eat 300,000. I just want it. No. Uh, so, or just get in there first. I mean, I tried, um, I don't know, I, I, I saw this on HGTV. Sometimes it works. You can write a letter hmm. to the seller and tell them a little bit about yourself. And, and just then let you them put know. like a sad story in there. It's, you know, like, you know, like what, like what American Idol, <laughs> just like what American Idol, when you put those certain people, they always got a sad story, you know? So you just put that on there. Like, you know, I have, you know, this, I love this house. It reminds me of my grandmother who died two years ago. <laughs> it just has her sentiments wrapped around it. She used to live at the house next door, and it there would mean so much for my yes. grand, our her grandkids, if she would have gotten a chance to meet them, to live in this home. And I'm be, I mean, I know the story is long, but you can try it. I mean, I think me and Jeff, when we bought a house, we wrote a letter, and the seller liked it. What you guys house, but oh, <laughs> 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 it didn't win. What they did, they said they really, really liked the store, the our letter. They they just had to go with another offer. We're like, oh, what else? I mean, they see them. You can try. I mean, it's worked on TV. I'm wouldn't be surprised. You know, at the, if it, if everything is the same playing field, like everyone is putting the same offer. I mean, those kinds of things can make a break. Or if your agent knows the seller's agent, which I'm trying to tell you have a bomb agent, mm -hmm. they can have a couple conversations that can convince the seller's agent and then the seller's agent can convince the, the, the seller right. and things like that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, at the end of the day, like I said, you know, if it's a, it is difficult, but I don't put all your eggs in one basket or just don't be like so set on the home that you're devastated that you don't get it. That happened to me. <laughs> But I'm going to tell y'all, my grandma was praying against me, okay? She did not want me to move to the city. So when I put an offer on the home, like, everything went bad. I lost, yeah. I, I gave up on my real estate agent. That was also when I got rid of that attorney. Girl, I had to redesign my whole team. It was bad. My mom okay, did so that. We do, so we have a question here. Is it smart to rehab for your first home? Or should you buy a non-rehab like is it harder to to like get approved and qualified or do you need to i'm not gonna say, i mean they have what they call 203k renovation loans it's not okay how do i say this is not very different i mean the process one might be a little bit difficult be not difficult but a little different and more more into it because you have now a contractor and you have a, what they call a contingency that they have to budget for I'm not going to say it's not smart and I'm not, and I'm not saying it's not, I mean, you're not, you're dumb or anything like that. It's just be prepared and research um, and know that if you don't have a time frame, it's okay, but make sure you have a dream team. 
You need to make sure you have a bomb contractor. You need to make sure you have a bomb engineer so that you're not getting people patching up stuff and then you get in the house and your floorboards go away. You need to make sure everything is good. I mean, if you want, and that's a way to save money though. And I mean, that to me, that's why the smart comes in is just knowing that how long is that going to take? Is this a, is this, if you're trying to get in a house now and it's like unlivable, then consider that you're not going to be able to move in for like a six months or six months to a year and be okay with that. I have friends that bought houses in Homewood and, and Homewood is a great area. Um, and they bought the, their house for 50,000 and it was not livable mm-hmm. and they worked on fixing it up, put maybe a hundred grand into the house and now it's worth like 300 something thousand dollars. So it is smart. You just need to know, you need to have research and you need to know you have a team that understands the process. But I think in general, uh, the parameters are still the same in regards to interest rates and things like that. That I wouldn't say it's not a, I wouldn't say it's not a smart idea. Just make sure you know what you're doing. Okay. All right, Candace. I hope that we answered your question on that one. Um, one thing I was going to say when you, cause I was considering doing a 203k loan, which isn't that, is that F, FHA? It, it could be FHA or conventional. Okay. So when I was considering doing that, one thing you have to remember is that if you don't move in, correct me if I'm wrong. This is the way I was thinking it happens. Let's say you close, but you don't move in. You're still paying your rent and now you have to pay the mortgage, right? Or do you, how does that work? So you'd be paying two places at the same time. Uh, it's difficult in regards to explaining, but at the end of the day, they they know that you're not going to be living so they in the home at a particular time. So you have the beginning stages where you pay a certain amount, and then once you move in, it changes. Uh, and they know that you're not living in it because it's getting fixed up. So all of that guidelines of how the payment schedule goes in is um, all in how the contract is set up. Okay. All right. So then it could possibly... You might not have to pay for like three months. They're going to get something. <laughs> They'd be like, oh, be like, I just bought a house. I'm life free. I mean, you got to live somewhere. So, uh, but yeah. Unless yeah. you live with family. That yeah. Would be like yeah. That's what usually people do when they, when they buy uh, a renovation, uh, a, a, not a renovation, new construction home. Uh-huh. Save money. They live with family while it's being constructed to save themselves paying rent and things like that outside of uh, also paying what they have to pay for the home so yeah okay all right candace said you did answer her question thank you very much (laughs) you're welcome that is all we have for today any um are you are you allowed to like suggest lenders at all or that's like no you can't i'm not gonna say suggest lenders because at the end of the day as i said i would shop around anyway okay um there are great lenders out there. Obviously, the big, bigger banks are going to offer you a lot more or try to offer you a lot more than maybe a smaller bank wouldn't be able to do. Mm. Um, but I just like I said, shop around. Um, in regards to credit, because I know people worry about that, if with inquiries, if you're doing it in a time frame, then they know that you're shopping for a mortgage. So it's not going to hurt your credit as much if you're, if you're shopping for a mortgage. I know people are scared. Well, they just pull my credit and they got to go because every lender you go to, they got to pull your credit. So mm-hmm. they're not going to tell Chase, hey, Chase, I went over there. Can you forward this over to Wells Fargo? No, they're not going to do that. So <laughs> they have to pull your credit every time. 
But if you're doing it in a short time frame, you'll be okay. What's that time frame? Is like 10 days, two weeks, what? They, uh, they usually say, I mean, it, it varies, but I would say within seven to 14 days. Okay. So if you're going to shop lenders pulling your credit, do it in a 14 day window. Do it when you're ready. Don't, okay. I mean, honestly, don't start this process and have people pull your credit and things like that. Cause with pre-approval letters, they typically are good for 120 days, but the lender will tell you it's good for 90 days because they have to account for that 30 days that'll, that'll take to actually buy the home mm-hmm. because your credit report is going to expire after 120 days generally. Oh. And then they have to repull your credit and that can be a really bad thing, especially if you did something on your credit and now it just shot down. So generally you want to make sure you're ready before you start the process. Okay. Um, yep. I guess that's it. That's all we have. Hey, thank you so much for coming on. Megan, how can we like follow you and listen to more advice about, so tell us like you talk about credit, you talk about buying a home, like how, if we have questions, how do we reach out? Can we DM you? Can I just- Yep, you can hit me up on Facebook (laughs) or you can hit me up on IG. I do, I had also a sabbatical hiatus, but every weekend, typically Sunday, I reach, I talk about some topic in regards to home buying, saving, credit, et cetera. Uh, so my IG, it's it's Meg, I-T-S, Meg, M-E-G, 2020. You can follow me on IG and you can reach out to me. I give free advice. Don't worry. I'm not going to be like, I'm charging you $20 to get information or help you with credit. I'm helping people this season. We all need the help. So reach out to me, Facebook, IG. It's up to you. We need to monetize that, ma'am. <laughs> you know i'm all for free i do this every sunday for free but there are some yeah. some bits of your knowledge do need to be monetized oh yeah i'll come out with an ebook and i'll charge you that. yeah no i'm serious like I'm serious. I'm okay e-book. i'm gonna do an ebook and then you okay. can buy it uh for the time being you know i'm here to answer any questions you guys got okay cool cool you could be like um like you were saying uh well we talked about you being the the business bestie the financial bestie um but even like you, what you mentioned before, where you were talking about having that accountability partner, someone to like, you could be like your, like a, a home purchasing coach. I'm going to be your coach, guys. I'll be your going to help you go from mediocre credit and not enough save to buying your dream home. Because I'm an example, guys. I didn't check my credit. I was that person that didn't <laughs> check until I looked to buy a house. And I'm like... What? I didn't know you could go that low. Yeah. My <laughs> God. What were you doing all this time? It was really just because I didn't know and there was stuff that was on it that shouldn't have been on there. And I was able to get up to the 700s in less than six months. It's possible Ooh, to do girl, it. That's your selling point right there. Oh, no. <laughs> I started from the bottom now. I started from the bottom now. You're going to drop in. Where's the smoke? There you go. Fireworks. Fireworks. <laughs> All right, we need to talk about monetizing you, but that's a different story. <laughs> I will do that. I will listen. But she's dope, y'all. She's super. <laughs> Thank you. All right, y'all. I will see you back next week. I have another guest coming up, but I will keep it a mystery surprise, and we'll see. So you guys have an amazing week, and we're gonna say our affirmations. I am loved. I am loved. I am wanted. I am wanted. I belong. I belong. All right. So, oh, I forgot to mention, if you guys did not get the abundance 
and gratitude meditation that I dropped on Friday to kind of like help you shift your money mindset so that you can even buy a home or get a better job or whatever it is that you want to do financially, please listen to the meditation. It's only like five minutes. You can listen to it every morning. You can listen at night before you go to sleep, but it's a great, great resource. It's one of the ways that I actually did shift my mind when I was buying my building. I had to get into a place where I believed that I could support myself alone buying this whole building. That's a whole nother story I have to tell y'all about because I had a whole panic attack and everything, but we'll talk about that another time, you know? <laughs> It'll be more centered Sundays and I'll help y'all get through this. All right, I love you guys. Have an amazing week. Bye, Vegas. Bye, guys. <laughs>